Fusion Patrol is a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help support us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Each week, we look at a different science fiction TV episode or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight, we're looking at the Doctor Who episode, The Haunting of Castle Franken... Uh, the Haunting of Villa Diodati. It is June 1816, and in a completely atypical fashion, the Doctor has decided to pop in at a famous moment in history, just for her companions to sniff the air around some famous historical figures and then leave. They've popped back to the infamous night when Lord Byron challenges his guests, Percy Bysshe Shelley, Mary Godwin, a.k.a. Mary Shelley, Claire Clermont, and Dr. John Polidori to write the most terrifying ghost story imaginable. It is the infamous night that gave rise to Mary Shelley's story, Frankenstein, or the modern Prometheus. But Percy Shelley isn't there, and the others are more interested in parlor games to pass the time than writing ghost stories. The doctor detects an evil vibe in the house. Plus, there are apparent ghosts and animated human bones flittering about the place. Then the walls go all funhouse on them, except no one is laughing. During this time, ghosts feed Graham some lovely nom-noms. Percy is found in the coal cellar. He has been infected by and become the guardian of the Siberium, a database of a bunch of stuff from the future about the Cybermen. And the lone Cyberman wants it back. You know, the one Captain Jack warned everyone about? About which he said, whatever you do, don't give it what it wants? Yeah, that lone Cyberman. Not coincidentally, the lone Cyberman, whose name is Ashad, is here too. The Siberian will kill Percy if it stays in his head. If he dies, Earth's history is irrevocably altered, and all the companions probably won't have existed. The doctor takes the Siberium into her head, so the lone Cyberman threatens to destroy the Earth to get it, unless the doctor does the one thing she's been warned she must not do. So, of course, she does it. History and the planet are safe, but the future has been threatened. For some reason, the departure of the lone Cyberman also undoes all the ecological disaster that was the aftermath of the eruption of Mount Tambora the year earlier. Also, it now seems like Lord Byron's poem, Darkness, is not about the apocalypse, but about the doctor. Byron scholars will be confused for centuries. The end. All right, so uh, what are your initial thoughts on the haunting of Villa Diodati? Well, I'll, I'll tell you my initial thoughts on the haunting of Villa Diodati, which were, it, it didn't really work. It seemed to be three... Three stories, which which didn't seem to quite hang together comfortably, because there's there's the story there about the the night of the ghost stories and mm -hmm. the the kind the kind of the historical. So we've got a nice historical setting with Mary Shelley and Percy Shelley and Lord Byron and John Polidori and some famous works being developed, and and you know that in itself is a fascinating setting to. To explore and then we've got a fantastical moving 
Castrovalva type house thing, mm-hmm. which is, you know, spooky and exciting and weird and quite interesting to explore. And then we've got a story about cyber cyber wars and the lone cybermen and the Siberium and all that kind of jazz, which is quite good in its own way. But you kind of feel that that story at least and you know possibly the other story would work absolutely fine without these historical figures kicking around i mean you might want a few extra players just to be able to kill them off or whatever but they're not necessarily needing to be uh significant contributors to english literature Um, and those were my initial thoughts fair enough well, I'll give you my initial thought. Um, I I would say, and your criticisms are completely valid, I found this the most entertaining story of the year so far, hands down. Not great, not like an instant classic, and I can't exactly point a finger to why, but I at least enjoyed this episode by the time I got to the end of it. And even on rewatch, I enjoyed the episode. So... Uh, your points are all valid and they're a list of things that we could go into uh, that, that don't make a lot of sense or, or don't hang together well, but for whatever reason, it managed to overcome that to a degree for me. So your, your comment, your, your comment about initial thoughts implies to me that you've got some secondary thoughts. Uh, So I have, I have some secondary thoughts because, well, now the thing is that um, for, for the, for the listeners, we don't normally give each other any clue as to how we've reacted to the episode before we hit the record button on the podcast. I did manage to infer from something you said that you didn't hate this one. Um, And I kind of wanted to give you my initial thoughts to bounce off because at first I thought that's where I would be coming at from this discussion. However, what happened then was I rewatched the episode and discovered that everything I thought was wrong. It does work together as a single story and in fact it's really really cleverly constructed and I wouldn't quite go as far as to say the episode is flawless but it is very impressive and I and I having rewatched it I get all the kind of hype around it certainly some of the discussions I mean You'll find Doctor Who fans anywhere who have any opinion you care to hunt for, I guess, but... Probably so. I I I was a bit surprised by how positively it was being regarded. And then when I watched it again, I actually completely changed my opinion on it. And I'm not quite sure why, although I think a lot of it has to do with expectations and particularly expectations around a story that is going to be a historical and not only that it's 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 not just a historical setting is it it's a it's a it's a it's moment. got to be an homage to frankenstein right yeah it kind of does you can't do this story without there being elements of of shelley's story in this so you're already you're already expecting it to unfold in a certain way added to which is the is the heavy burden of the thing that you alluded to in 
last week's synopsis, which is that the Doctor has been here before. He's been here at the creation of Frankenstein and Shelley has met him and met Cybermen uh, on a previous occasion. And so not only is there a bit of my brain, even while I'm watching it, trying to think, OK, how can we fit the different parts of the Doctor's history together in a way that doesn't completely conflict? Um, but it's but it's also it's also running over the way that the the the, the five key characters in this were portrayed in Mary's story because the performances in this are different and the characterizations are different um so so and and there are some actually some other sort of fairly key things that that are different like um William is in this but not in Mary's story whereas Percy is in Mary's story but barely in this so all all of those things affect what I was expecting and I guess the dynamic I was expecting uh, going into it. And once you've watched it through once and you've you've sort of got through those expectations, then I think you see it in a different way. And I guess that's I guess that's why my first impressions, my second impression are so radically different on this occasion. That uh, I, one thing I thought was interesting. A uh, couple of small points. One, it's weird that this one's not co-written by by Chibbers. Um, he has rewritten practically everyone. Well, no, let's let's not use rewritten. Let's say he has co-written practically everything this year. This may be the only one that wasn't. No, it's and not. yet with all the with all the lone Cyberman stuff, which we know is his two part finale it feels like he should have had a hand in here uh, a hand sufficient to get a co-writing credit so uh I, I i just thought that was interesting especially when you know the cyberman shows up and you're like wait this isn't supposed to happen till next week which by the way listeners we will not be doing a doctor who podcast next week we're going to digest the so-called supposed according to all the promotional hype material two-part finale as a single episode even though it appears like this is part of it but we didn't know that going in and we're, we're going based on the hype machine and and, and another thing um i well on that on that on that question i think the reason he hasn't got the the, the reason he may the reason he may have handed this writer over that the, he may have handed this story to this writer is because there are two there are two things I discovered this week one is that he seems to have instituted some kind of writing room arrangement so really the only element that affects the arc in this is could could be just on a standard shopping list you know you've got to you've got to get the lone cyberman in there you've got to get the siberium in there but if if there's some kind of writer's room, then there's then there's an opportunity to input anyway through that. The other thing is that apparently Maxine Alderton is definitely coming back for the next season, and um, someone tracked down something on her online CV saying she was a quote core writer on season thirteen. Interesting. Well, maybe 30, she'll take over for Chibnall. Well, uh. I think I, I think it's the uh, the idea of there being a. a a core writer is an interesting idea because it suggests that the 
this story is being developed in a more collaborative way or the story arc is being developed in a more collaborative way which isn't commonly how Doctor Who has been done it was done on Torchwood for Children of Earth and that seemed to be very effective but um, mm. it, it's, it's not been the usual pattern on this show and and she has no prior Doctor Who cred but she has been script editor Emmerdale for yeah she's written ages. about 100 episodes of Emmerdale as far as I can yeah. tell I haven't watched any of them uh, no, I don't really know anything about Emmerdale, except I assume it's a soap opera. But th- yeah, that's... Emmerdale Farm. It's about farm, I think. Wow, get get me and in my in-depth knowledge of British culture. Uh, Chibnall calls her an expert or a pro on Byron and Shelley, but uh, you know, I don't I don't know that to be true. I apparently she is a buff at the very least. Um, so uh, he really talked her up about her expertise on the subject uh, prior to the episode going out. Um, so I- I'll, I'll, my list is once again in an illogical order. I've got more important things to talk about. But one thing that kind of does bother me about this episode is the almost dismissal of the scientific fact that the year without a winter summer the year without a summer was caused by the 1815 explosion of mount tambora in, in indonesia um it, very famously it was particularly bad in the area of lake geneva which could be what they were trying to go for that it was made worse by the cybermen i don't know because the visual of it going away and suddenly being a sunny day was way over the way over the pal uh and I just kind of, I, I, you know, Doctor Who can play fast and loose with some stuff, but in a way, they shouldn't play that fast and that loose with the events, um, because but, that was a, that was a significant event that killed tens, if not hundreds, of thousands of people. Not just the explosion, but the famines, the freezing, the the you know the 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 human suffering on a mega scale, uh, and it didn't end in june of 1816 but but at the same time we get a we get a lecture about how we cannot allow time to be changed uh at at later in the episode so again it's that uneasy pick pick something and stick with it and and i i don't i i i can't see I can't see what the problem is there apart from the not allowing time to be changed what what the doctor is saying and the the effect you see at the end of the the skies clearing or whatever is that is not is not that the eruption of mount tambora wasn't was not a significant event but that its effect on lake geneva in the summer of 1916 uh, 1916 1816 was wrongly attributed to it in fact there was another cause for it now, obviously, it wasn't. The rest... But yeah, well, it wasn't. But 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 it could have been. It's not. That's not a. That's not a big difference because you're not saying that the volcano didn't erupt. You're not saying that there wasn't a global anomalies. Just that this particular local um, this it, local weather wasn't wasn't due to it. It was due to something else. And it would be entirely understandable why 
people thought it was due to it, but it's not a big it's not a big fictional leap to say actually in this case this you know this particular thing that was due to something else. Hmm. Well, I'll I'll, I'll stand at disagreeing on that one and 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 move on. Um, I'll ask it got a couple of things that didn't seem to fall together even on the second viewing to me. What was animating the hand and the skull? I've got that. And why does, okay. why does the hand attack Ryan? Yeah, yeah. I, I and and later it takes the place of the baby and it's chattering in the jar. And also, so that's one that doesn't appear to be anything that Shelley is doing, and it it doesn't appear to be anything that the Cybermen would be doing or would have the ability to do. I think so there's a line just... about it being the Siberian, but. I don't see what the, why it's the, 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 yeah exactly what what's the purpose of it doing that yeah and then the ghosts that appeared to Graham which I think is either one of two things either it's just a throwaway to create a spooky ghostly atmosphere in which case I kind of think it's a little lazy or it leads to something else and and timeless child. I don't know if it's the timeless child. What what crossed my mind, and I Google failed me, so either I'm wrong, which is very possible, or my Google foo is just not up to it. I just have this weird, familiar feeling that there is some legend somewhere, probably contemporary to these events or older, that had something to do with about not eating food supplied by ghosts that there was something certainly seems a bit dodgy to me but that's that's just my kind of natural caution over hygiene and right. things like that well obviously you're not supposed to know that the ghosts are getting it but like if a ghost supplies you with food and you're unaware of that and you eat it there there was there's something about that but i i could find nothing all i could get was hungry ghosts which is chinese or which is a different thing altogether so or or two other theories here going one is it some sort of metaphor for the return of the cancer that's going to be eating graham to death by the end of the series or i don't think it's that or this was some sort of infection just like the siberium was graham has been infected with something from the future that these ghosts brought back for him and he is he is now a pawn in this somehow otherwise it is just lazy uh you know so it's spooky i agree it works well uh but the fact that they leave it at the well you know there are no ghosts unless there are okay it didn't uh uh you know the doctor has been pretty firmly on the side of ghosts or temporal anomalies for for a long time going all the way back to at least the fendal and maybe even further Day of the there's Daleks, no way perhaps? there's no way that these are ghosts yeah i i would like to think that yes i would like to think that they are at least not going to go there with the show and the, that they the do- are i mean the doc the doctor states in this episode clearly there are no, there are no such thing as ghosts the unless there the, are yeah but it's a it's a tongue-in-cheek line it's not that you, it's 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 there as a throwaway maybe that's bad delivery no, I don't think it is. I think it's clear. I th- I think it's 
it's it can be there because they've already established during the episode what the doctor's standard response is so that they can make a joke about it at the end but it's not it's not it's not just there for for the joke because they're they're clearly drawing attention to the fact that graham saw them and only graham saw them right at the end and they wouldn't do that if there wasn't some kind of purpose to it future payoff you would to be resolved you would definitely think that but then on the other hand there's been so many things that do not pay off throughout doctor who that are just i i i don't trust them to complete this i would like them to but i don't trust them to do it anymore so we can see you know they're they're just too many times they've put the puzzle out on the table and they've been missing 30 percent of the pieces and when you're all done putting it together, you're like, well, I get the gist of it, but who stole my third of the pieces? Um, also, it would be remiss if we failed to mention that Dr. John Polidori is the writer of The Vampire, which also came out of this thing, which is uh, the uh, basically... It bugs me a bit that they, 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 they haven't, I mean, either in, well, any of the big Finnish stuff, actually, but, it, you know, they, they obviously had... The, this other story that was set on the night on which the vampire was also conceived, and the, and they have this notion that our vampires, the you know the vampires of uh, our literature, are inspired by the real vampires who are the Gallifreyans, mm-hmm. you know, good, most deadly. So there's so there's this whole vein of Doctor Who mythos and backstory that they could tap into in terms of explaining um, how Polidori's story was inspired, especially given that it's you know that it's the it's essentially the first one that puts together the vampire myths into some kind of coherent narrative, and that, yet that basically was a foundation for Dracula, which yeah, everyone indeed. thinks is the. The, the the first but it really it really but, isn't but, I, i'm I, but Poly, polidori is definitely a, a second fiddle character in this you the, the 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 kind of lead guests are mary and lord byron and then claire and polidori are so you know they have they have a couple of decent scenes they're they're quite good or whatever but they're they're easily trimmable you know you can see how if they'd had to lose a bit there, mm. there are there are bits of the plot that wouldn't have gone, and then there are those scenes that they could just have left out. I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to something you said earlier because I wanted to bring it up, but this is a great time to do it. I would have much preferred. I think it would have been much more interesting exploration if the events that had occurred in this house had been vampire related. You said you know it's got to be what inspires Frankenstein. No, it doesn't. It could be what inspires the vampire. Yes. It could have been completely different. It could have been somebody could have taken a take on this who knew what they were talking about and said, I'm not going to do the thing everybody expects. I'm going to go with I'm going to go with this other thing that people don't know about because I want them to learn something about it. And, you know, just as likely there is vampire fiction in Doctor Who. So could have done that. I, I would have I, I'd have been much happier with that, actually. I'm not that I'm displeased. It's just Frankenstein and Cybermen is actually not even exactly a great mix um, because Cybermen aren't really Frankenstein. 
and and no, and we could Frankenstein's monsters, and we could talk about the fact that this Cyberman is a weird one, a very weird one that did in well, fact let's... appear to be stitched together. Uh, no, go I, ahead. I well, I don't, I don't think. I mean, I part partly that that was where I initially thought this wasn't a good fit, and yet running back through it, I think it is because. Some of the some of the things that I was a bit, I don't know, I was a bit taken aback by, when, for example, Mary says to this to the Cyberman, he is made of several people, but yeah. it's a misconception, isn't it? But if you look at his hand, his left arm, when he hands it out, it does appear to be like the hand is stitched on somebody else's arm. It does look like that. Oh, I must have another look at that. But it, yeah, but it, it's still it's still I mean primarily. He is. It's. It, he still. He still fits the standard cyber model. For what in, we understand a Cyberman to be, yes. He. He was. He was a person. He was Ashad, and he. He. He was mechanically augmented and possibly then biologically augmented. But there's a. There's a world of difference between saying you know adding a, a hand to something that's mostly already you know a single person to say um assembling a selection of different organs or putting a brain in someone else's skull or something like that so i i my my interpretation of that was that actually mary was seeing something that wasn't necessarily there and it was going to inspire her but it wasn't it wasn't inconsistent with our understanding of cybermen and what they are right and and getting his power from the lightning mary didn't see that that was just the doctor. True. So there's another piece that, that is there in the story that we see, but not in the story that Mary sees. Um, I was just going to say, while we're talking about things that conflict with uh, established Cyberman lore from the show, there was something that definitely did conflict with it, or seemed to conflict with it, but it was something that was said by the doctor, and I thought it was odd. I don't know what you made of it, but she, but okay. she described what Cybermen are by talking about how they've had parts of themselves replaced with mechanical, uh, mechanical parts. And she said explicitly without with, consent. Without consent, yes. <laughs> she did say that, and I have a note here about that. Um, I, I thought that was very strange because obviously some Cybermen, yes, have had all their yeah. parts augmented. Probably most Cybermen have had their stuff replaced without consent but that is not what makes the horror of the cybermen it's whether with or without consent and some of them went willingly as far as we know uh, to, and that's, to that's what so what that's what's so wonderful about the the origin stories um you know in in 10th planet or whatever is that is that they did this to themselves that's what is so horrifying Right. Uh, that is the that is the doom that we should be watching um yeah. it is <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and and that does it, yes it was a very strange line and it when she said that you're just like i i was am i supposed to make something out of that or are they just driving home a point about consent because they haven't got any other social justice issue at all in this episode maybe maybe that was her concession to uh to chibbles uh chibber's uh checklist she said make sure you yeah, talk just, about consent okay got it done it's hardly a Throw it away. controversial it's hardly... social issue i agree 
Well, I didn't say any of them should be controversial. Well, it is controversial to people who don't agree with it. <laughs> like, well, as with well, all you things. Shouldn't have, you shouldn't have your body parts replaced without consent. I'm sure that there's some... Well, consent as an issue as a whole, not necessarily that specific uh, that specific aspect of it for, for body replacement. But um, yeah, I, I, it was an odd line. So the other aspect of it that I thought was is worth asking the question is... Is that a Cyberman that's broken down, or is that a Cyberman that was put together from spare cyber parts? It's a, it's a Cyberman that isn't complete. I'm sure there's a, a line... The doctor says something. It's like, you're not all complete or something like that, but... Yeah, because 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 he's he's not had his emotions fully removed. He that's does one. get very... You know, he sweeps, he sweeps everything off the table in a very kind of cliched, soap opera-ish kind of angry way isn't that what people do in real when life? they're angry when they're cybermen angry. don't have emotions right well he was also very he was he was angry and and he touted several other emotions irritating irritated yes. and and a number of other things so yeah no and the doctor calls it specifically says he hasn't had his inhibitor in place um but no i i guess what i was getting at is you look at his helmet and it looks like it's busted apart. And my question is, is that, is this a Cyberman that for whatever reason didn't, um, didn't get finished or he was finished? How do I phrase this? I, the, the question is, did they put a, did the helmet that got put on him, was it complete and it got broke, broken away? Or did they dig, uh, did they dig the helmet out of a pile of cyber rubble? And put it on somebody. And is it possible, because of a line that was said in this, that it was done with consent? Because he said he slit his children's throats when they joined the resistance. Yes, that's, yeah. And that's not something a Cyberman would do. True. That's something a human would do. And so is it possible that this guy, is it possible that there is a group of people who are working with the Cybermen? I, 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 I think there, I think there is a potentially interesting story here. I, I hope that the next episodes deliver on it because the, because I, I had a sense. I mean, I wasn't even kind of questioning this stuff about how his helmet was broken. This, this strong sense I got, and I guess it's maybe from, the, the sort of background around what we what little we know is, is that is that this is a cyberman from uh, from late in the cyber wars i think i think that's referred to in future yeah, so. jadoon and therefore it, it's not it's not you know you don't have the pristine cyber conversion um you know all the kind of clinical uh, well-oiled right. machinery to 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 do this stuff. What you're basically doing is you're just making do as best you can. The the you know the stuff may be failing. That could be why he is you know mid-processed, and it would also explain why parts of him are 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 missing or in in poor condition. Of course, that doesn't preclude the possibility because clearly in you know in those circumstances you're you're going to extreme measures to try and put together whatever you can to make some kind of army, even if it's not perfect, just to to 
you know, get them out there on the front line. So it's it certainly doesn't preclude the possibility that he has been uh, shot about a bit in the wars too. But mm. I guess the one the one thing the the one strong feeling I've got from that, and I you know I can't I can't put my finger on definitive proof. It's just a an impression I got from what we've been shown is that he was never a pristine Cyberman. From the start, yeah, I think, yeah, uh, I think that's possible, and I, I, I just have this, I have this feeling that we're gonna get somewhere, and this is totally speculation, not any kind of spoilery stuff. I'm just, I, I get this feeling that those lines, like the with consent and the, and the, and the bit about slitting his kid's throat, we're gonna find in the future that there is a, I don't know, cult of the Cybermen trying to resurrect them. And to do that, they turn Ashad into as close to a Cyberman as they can to go back and get the information in the Siberium. I think that's I like what that. the lone Cyberman is going to be. He's he's going to be a, a, a lunatic, basically. Uh, um, because I think there's... I think there's a lot of mileage in current uh, social uh, activity about talking about the lunatics who follow fascists and um, or or support them or try to bring them into power. Um, so yeah, I, I, I yes, and that would explain a resistance, and that would explain... appoint them as special advisors in Downing Street. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that, that I, if they go there, I'll be a kind of, okay. Now my next question but, is, but, 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 but the, I mean, c connected with that is there is, there is some other agency acting because someone has sent the Siberian back and the Siberian and what, itself. Going, yeah. Yeah. What is that? Want... Yeah. It doesn't want the Cybermen to get it. Yeah, and yet it seems to be billed as the cyber technology, the the I don't want to say the controller of the cyber Cyberman, but it it sounds like it's a thing built by the Cybermen to do cybery stuff, and yes. yet so are, for some are, reason it doesn't want are, to go back. It well, and 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 so and that I find it intriguing. I think it feels to me like there are potentially uh, three different interested parties involved in whatever it is that is sending things back through time here could um, there be cyber factions th there's there's, the purists there's it, we'll call them and the, the wannabes the, the cult of the cybermen if you if you like um but but the the whoever it is who is who the, the lone cybermen and, and whoever his creators or acolytes or whoever may be there is the siberium which is very mysterious and it's unclear what that's going on. But I think that may be the idea of a pure cyber race. I don't know. But I mean, pure cyber race doesn't make much sense because cybermen have always been... Right. They've, they've always been augment, augmentations. And and then there's obviously the the actual resistance, the, the Captain Jack and whoever else. Yeah, no, the cybermen have always been the communists. I mean, the Daleks were the were the Nazis, and the the Cybermen were the the communists who come in and take you over from within. Um, it, it's like, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I I don't know. I suppose there's 
it, what happens if Mondozian and Talosian Cybermen came up against each other one or or Mondozian and uh Cybex ones from another universe? Well, I mean, would they would they all get along or would they all be like, no, we are the better cyber race. You will become like us. I don't know. I I I can imagine them, you know, getting together and have a sort of cyber swapping party where they exchange various bits of their augmented anatomies with one another hey cool handles let you know let me swap that with, with uh, your head with my head i've got this lantern this is great huh i can see in a dark room uh, <laughs> yeah so that uh, yeah i it raises some interesting possibilities it raises interesting questions uh, a week before i expected us to have any questions about cybermen I, I will ask this question um, throughout. Well, OK, Cybermen or the Siberium or Captain Jack's people. Well, we know Captain Jack's people because Captain Jack's a time agent. They have time travel. He's not I, a time well, agent. He's an well, ex-time agent. Uh, all right. But but he is from a culture that has time travel. Sure. OK, so he, and so therefore his civilization has time travel so human civilization has time travel i know we've talked about the problem the fact that everybody seems to have time travel now um and i agree but if you had a thing and you wanted to keep somebody from getting it is sending it back in time really a good idea i mean that seems like just the worst possible place to send something that you well, don't I think, want people I think to the find people the people sending things back in time are the people trying to change history is the Siberium, are they trying to change history with the Siberium? Is that what we're going for? I'm assuming so. I thought Jack said they sent something back in time to hide it, but I, I, I don't remember now. That's what I took out of it. I could be completely wrong. And the, the lone Cyberman is coming back to find it. So uh, also, you know, if you are going to send something back in time for crying out loud, don't send it to Percy Bysshe Shelley's house, you know... <laughs> Well, to be fair, it was in the lake by his house. but yeah. By his house, yeah. It's like at the time when he would be there. I mean, you have all of time and space. I'm thinking, gosh, there's lots of places you could send it to and it would never be found that don't have people or... We don't know they sent it back future. to 1816. Yeah, we don't know. We don't, we don't know. But it, it could have been there for a few thousand years. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I just... My general conjecture, hiding things in the past seems like a bad idea um, for everyone in the present. Um, well, while we're on the while we're on the Cyberman, I want to record the fact I love him. He's such a good Cyberman. That's because he's mean, got emotions and he's kind of cool looking. And yeah, he's cool looking. <laughs> it's, it's the he's cool looking. The whole the whole thing of being able to see his you know, his face and his arm and, and you know, getting that kind of, the, the horror of the the greying body parts inside the metal shell and all of that kind of thing. And not just that, the, the, way, he, the way he moves and the sounds when he moves. And, oh, goodness me, the, the, you know, the, the hydraulics in his arms as he picks the baby up and, and uh, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, shivers for that bit. It definitely is uh, mostly better than all of the uh, Cybermen we've had in the new series. Uh, and Mary, Mary's, Mary's aware that he doesn't kill the baby, so that's another element in Frankenstein, isn't it? Yeah, I guess it is. 
I, I like the fact that Mary Mary gives him the big speech about, you know, how trying to appeal to his humanity. Um, and obviously the monster has uh, this this degree of humanity and yet it completely doesn't wash with him. It looks like it's going to and then he just turns on her and it's a brilliant scene. Uh, th- so I had a question about that then. You've read Frankenstein far more recently than I have, I'm quite certain, because mm-hmm. I recently read your, your, uh, your post on that. Um, but I think I haven't read it since about... 1980. So it's been <laughs> a, a, a while since I read the the book, uh, which was a hard slog, as I recall. But what I recall is that when you come out of it, the monster is Frankenstein. Frankenstein's monster is more human than than Frankenstein himself. <laughs> is that not not what I remember from that? Remember, Frankenstein is the monster, not the doctor. Right, but- no, I'm saying Frankenstein is actually the monster in this story. Yes, the Dr. Yes, Frankenstein is I'm the saying. monster. His monster is actually the more human of the two. Yes, the, the creature he is created. the monster. So if you were putting together a story where a woman was inspired by something that she encountered to write, I, I don't know that having her think she got through to the Cyberman and then have him prove that she was wrong would be maybe the story would have come out differently if you had if you had done that okay the monster is the monster though i mean the monster is the monster is a killer he's driven mad for understandable reasons but i don't think she tries to justify his actions so it it i think the thing the thing there that doesn't fit is that you don't see you don't see the circumstances of his creation. You know, there's there's not there's nothing in the haunting of Villa Diodati that explains the character of Frankenstein. It it gives you the inspiration for the monster, sure, but Frankenstein himself, no. But then on the other hand, the the downside of stories like this, fun though that they are, where you kind of say, oh, this is how you know, this is how this historical figure came up with this idea, um, is that you slightly diminish their creativity Genius. in inventing yes. it in the first place so perhaps in a way it, it, it's better that there is some distance between what we see in this story and what's actually in in the novel do you know if if my if my wild speculation about this guy being assembled from parts of busted up cybermen is true which i i don't know that that's explicitly enough Stated. I mean, if somebody had never seen a Cyberman, you wouldn't necessarily get that. But that would be then the person who did it is Frankenstein and Doctor Frankenstein, and you know, yeah. There's there's no there's no inkling of such a person or where he came from or what he 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 did that that Mary would get out of no. what she gets a chance to see in this story. So uh, one thing that was kind of interestingly done, I guess, is that they were very adamant and I don't know what the ages are, but they hired very young actors to play the parts because they were young, apparently, Uh, particularly the, the women were, were quite, I think teenagers still 1816. Uh, Mary would have been, yeah, she'd have been 18 or 19, I guess. Yeah. 
And so they hired people who were genuinely close to that age compared to they're were usually they? kind of aged up. Supposedly, I didn't look I, at the I, actors. I, things, I was unfamiliar with another them. thing. Chibnall, was... either Chibnall or the writer said that they had. I think people will be interested because we've we've hired actors who are more appropriate to the actual age of the characters. They certainly Should looked read... the right age. What impressed me was they were really, really good. I mean, the the actors playing Mary Shelley and Byron, especially, I just loved the performance the, of Mary Shelley. And it, that, that did surprise I mean, got that first time round, I, I, I was just instantly taken with the way she portrayed her. And I, I really enjoyed Julie Cox when she was playing uh, against uh, Paul McGann as his companion, uh, as Mary Shelley, um, but and and so I came into it with, with some expectations of of the character of Mary Shelley, who I was expecting to see. She did play it completely differently, but I I really I I don't know. There was just there was there was something about her her glee in the the horror of it, and her yeah. I just yeah, it was lovely. I thought it was it was it was it was well done i i will say the guy who played um byron um i i did occasionally look at him and think well i mean if they ever launch up a a revival of sherlock without benedict cumberbatch um maybe <laughs> oh i didn't see he him kept he kept reminding me of cumberbatch and i don't know what it was but something I mean, yes, but the hair maybe and, and general stature, but there was something else there that, that uh, you know, and he was actually playing a different, he wasn't playing Sherlock Holmes. I don't, don't mean to imply that. Just um, No, I, no, I'm not, and I'm not saying I, I'm not saying there I could imagine him as Holmes, but I, I, thought, I thought his, his performance as Byron didn't, you know, it didn't, it, 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 was, it was quite different. It was quite distinctive. And I, I did... I did like his um, the way his mind was obviously working. It it was yeah, it was entertaining. His his pursuit of the doctor, who, well, I can't remember what the phrase he used. He was something about how she was just enchanting or particularly lovely in a crisis, something like that. And she shot him down just like John Pertwee would have if he tried that on her on him. Yeah, um, yeah, which. <clears throat> So makes her, in some ways, makes her more like older doctors than it would have David Tennant or Matt Smith, because I think both of them would have probably uh, blushed. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think there is no doubt that this doctor is far less. Um, well, actually, no, it's true. The the uh, I, I must stop myself. I hate that term. This doctor, the doctor, currently, <laughs> but also the doctor. In her past couple of incarnations, I think it is fair to say, has a lot less interest in that whole side of things than she did in the two incarnations preceding that. Yeah. At least two. Yeah. And I welcome that. I welcome her spurning his advances. <laughs> Good job. It was, but, uh, it, was, it was very funny. I do not like her licking bones or tasting bone dust. I didn't like that tasting dirt in Norway, and I. Why just, didn't you like that? I just think it's 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 a ridiculous too far. It's very due south. Uh, 
again, due south is uh, comedy. <laughs> um, due, due south is, is meant to make the Canadians look ridiculous in many ways. Um, Whereas and the Gallifreyans are all terribly, terribly dignified and serious people. It would be the one do- thing if doctor, I thought the, the doctor, doctor was licking it and was lying. Was lying. Yeah, this is just... But the fact that she's pronouncing that that actually is the correct comical composition, age, and no things from tasting a bit of a bone is just... You know... It's bad enough she could do it with a sonic, which at least is an instrument oh, no, designed for detecting... I would prefer if she actually couldn't do either um, and would have to rely on not that kind of shorthand. But anyway, let's see. I guess probably my one thing that comes to my mind at the episode is that the ultimate solution to this problem is to just give up, which is what the doctor did. Um, You mean the the dilemma? Yeah. Yeah. We'll just give it to him. I, I yeah, I, I I liked I liked that. I liked the fact that it was set up with a clear you mustn't do this, and yet when you get into the actual situation, how could you do anything else? Could the cybership have really have destroyed the Earth? Did he really even have a cybership? Um, I, it, it it seemed you wouldn't find uh, out, would you? I mean, if he had a cybership, you'd be dead before you knew it. I, I I can't think of any specific examples, but I'm going to say that there have been occasions in the past where someone threatens something like that to the doctor and the doctor does not back down because the doctor will outsmart them and or outplay them. And if it weren't for the fact that we had set up this Oh, don't give it to him under any cost. You, you know, I mean, I knew from the moment Captain Jack said that, that there is absolutely no doubt whatsoever that the doctor will give it to them. It was like, and well, it's Chekhov Siberia, isn't it? It pretty much. You have, yeah. Well, you, you've got to give them the MacGuffin because otherwise you never get to find out what the MacGuffin does. So, it, you know, it's got to happen and then you can, then you can deal with it. I must say, I, I, one of the things I like about this doctor, and I think, you know, I've, I've mentioned this in the past, is that I've done it again, this doctor, the doctor, the doctor in this incarnation, the doctor in this series in the Chibnall era is fallible in, you know, in the way that Davison's doctor was fallible. There is that scene at the end of the ghost monument that I think sets this up where you get a sense for a moment that she can be defeated and it does it does when when used appropriately i think create a real sense of jeopardy the feeling i had in this was that when she when she was making the call when she was saying can i can i risk the fact that the you know there could be a cyber ship that will destroy the earth i believed it i believed that she you know whatever whatever you want to say about what the doctor has done in previous episodes and there are goodness knows enough of them i believed that in that moment the doctor was weighing up the odds and was sufficiently convinced that this was a really a, a, an impossible corner to get out of 
And yes, there may have been a, a long shot. She might have been able to outwit them or do something else, but it was too big a risk to play with. Hey, thought just occurs to me. Is Captain Jack trying to change the past? Well, he comes he's to warn try, the doctor. He's either trying to change the past or he's give, trying to stop someone else from changing the past. Don't give it. He's come to warn the doctor. He says, don't give them what they want. She does not have what they want at the point in time that he contacts her. She doesn't get what they want until they arrive at this place entirely through happenstance. Sure, but Jack, but all Jack the right needs place. to do is to encounter her before she has what he wants, not, you know, any time okay, but that means he do. has to know that she will get it. Well, yes. And that it is catastrophic so no, that she no not point in telling give her, it to them. There's no point in telling her not to give them something that she's never going to have, so he but, must... But, but my point is, is that if he knows she's going to get it, then he is trying to manipulate his past because that's a he's thing. He's certainly that's trying happened. to manipulate it. What all I'm all I'm saying is he 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 may be he may be changing the past as it originally was, whatever originally means, or he may be trying to stop someone else from who has tried to or who has changed the past to some other course because. It comes back to this thing I was saying earlier that there are these different there are these different operators involved in this situation, and it's not quite clear who they are or what their agendas are, or even because there appear to be at least two people trying to change the past whether either of them have succeeded well do you think that the do you think that the Cyberman is trying to change the past? Yes, how so he's just trying to get the Siberian back. Because the because the Cybermen have been defeated in the Cyber Wars, but we don't know that's why he wants the Siberium. But it's a pretty good motive for wanting to change the past. I'm thinking getting all of your, if it, it is, but I I I see no I see no evidence that he's trying to change the past. I see evidence that a defeated Cyberman is trying to get something that will allow them to rebuild and start again. And I think that even Captain Jack said that. That they're trying to start again, or they're trying to get it go- going all over again, or something like that. So it's not about it's not about changing the past, or at least there's no definitive thing. The only thing that sounds well, like it's, it's changing it's a- the past is Captain Jack, and in so doing, we ask the question: Well, how is that different than if they just killed Byron in the first place? Or sorry, they're uh, Shelley in the first place, but and and let the Siberium go or stay? Well, I, because they because cha- because changing the past is not a goal in itself. There are people. There are there are parties involved here who have an interest in how the how future history plays out and so it may it they they it may be that they want it to go a certain way or it may be that they want it not to go a way that someone else wants it to go someone else who is trying to change it there is no doubt that there is some changing of history going on here and by the end of this episode apart from the as I say, the 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 time scale, the fact that this several days has turned into just one night. Percy wasn't involved in it, so that's all wrong. So, at the end of this episode, the history is broken. The the you know the the story that took place within the episode was not how it should have happened. This is totally what's creating Doctor Ruth somehow. Well, it could be. <laughs> I mean, I'm cert- I'm certainly wondering if the existence of Doctor Ruth is the reason that. The Doctor doesn't remember travelling with Mary Shelley in the past. 
because nice try. <laughs> she wouldn't she wouldn't turn up at the Villa Diodati knowing that she'd been there in the past and that she'd been travelling around with Mary in the past because that would be wildly irresponsible. Yeah, and the doctor never does that. Exactly. Um, what about this little Time Lord trick of showing you your death? Nice, I like it. It, it raises some interesting implications for the villains that the Doctor has defeated. It it, it kind of makes that whole predestination thing kind of a little more real. So Time Lords can tell you how you're going to die. So well, if if is uh, Morbius is, uh, or not Morbius, if Solon is, is trying to, you know, if they could just take a quick look and see how Solon's going to die, go, oh, okay, well then never mind. He's not going to succeed. Um, I I didn't. It doesn't necessarily like it. work on other Time Lords. Well, Solon wasn't a Time Lord. Solon was the surgeon. I was trying to bring Morbius okay. back. But I, that's why I switched from Morbius to Solon. Um, but, yeah, anyway. I haven't seen the brain of Morbius for quite a while, so I can't, I can't remember how Solon dies or what difference. The doctor murders have... him with cyanide gas. Oh, naughty doctor. <laughs> it's like, so, um, yeah. Just a, a note, uh, Shelley, Percy, Beth Shelley, Beth Shelley, uh, obviously quite uh, uh, famous, and he did die in 1822 of drowning, although not in the shallows. He was in uh, deeper water. But um, I, I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, Shelley, if, if this wasn't known, was kind of a, a bit of a notorious atheist for his era, one of the scandalous things in his thing. When he died, the Courier in Britain, which I guess is a is or was a Tory paper, uh, wrote the following in, to mark his passing. Shelley, the writer of some infidel poetry, has been drowned. Now he knows whether there is God or no. Hmm. He wasn't very popular in his lifetime. Um, it's only afterwards that his writings were... Uh, and he wasn't popular with the British because he wrote in favor of Irish independence and uh, all sorts of uh, interesting, uh, interesting scandalous stuff, as, as, did, as did Byron as, as well. So, because uh, we, I, I guess we, I guess we've kind of covered the, the, the lead guests. I'm a bit cheesed off that the staff get rather unceremoniously topped. That didn't sit so well with me. It, it kind of reminded me of, Oh, what's his face in Madagascar? Um, oh, dies yeah. And, uh, dies and no one even remembers that he was alive in the first place. Or ha can't remember his name. Right. I can't, I can't remember his name, but it's because he's an incidental character. I mean, I liked, I liked the, the character of Fletcher, the valet, in this. Um, and I especially, especially loved it when Polidori announced that he would be his second. And he makes a sigh that's almost exactly like, you know... Um, Zach Brannigan's Lieutenant Kiff in Futurama. Whenever, whenever Brannigan comes out with some outrageous yeah. declaration, okay. normally wildly sexist or um, self-aggrandizing, and he just makes this sigh, and I just, I was irresistibly reminded of it by Fletcher in that scene. I, I did like the, I did like the character of Fletcher. I, I think it's a little different from the guy in Madagascar because at least Byron when he finds the body, uh, seems to be, I'm not going to say moved, but he at least, I don't know, poor Fletcher or something like that. So, I mean, he wasn't completely forgotten. Last pure, poor Fletcher, I knew him. The, 
I think it maybe ties in, or my disquiet with it ties in with the. I like it, but it, but partly because it is making me think, um, and and so there is this, there is this confrontation between Ryan and the Doctor, because Ryan essentially puts the case for letting Percy die because it will save X other many mm. lives, and. The doctor's the doctor's response to that one is quite it's quite an interesting one because she doesn't as I might expect she doesn't kind of chastise him for his consequentialist approach she doesn't say I never met a person who was not important or whatever she actually talks about how Shelley can't be allowed to die because he is important which kind of the corollary or the, the the you know the flip side of that is well then these household servants these nursemaids and valets are not important mhm and so in the end she goes to argue she 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 convinces him by shelley is not ju- is not is not a question of saying it would be worth saving him whoever he is she doesn't even try to make that argument. She says he's important. He will have a, a a consequence on the way that history plays out. If history doesn't play out the way it's supposed to play out, you will be dead. Therefore, you should agree with me in order to preserve yourself. It was I. I did not care for the whole the whole piece there. I, I know a lot of people are are cheering finally a Jody speech, but I did not. It is a good speech. It is a good speech. What I like about it is partly that I don't we've had this we've had this thing now running through running through this whole series where essentially the the set of companions who are played by good actors, we're getting good good performances from them and they are interesting characters in the way that they were introduced and written and I enjoyed them in the last season. But there is no doubt that the doctor has been written in a way that she is essentially just treating them as pets. This speech acknowledges that. The fact that, you know, she actually explicitly says all of this fam stuff is just so much bullshit as far as she's concerned. They are not equal to her. She is the one who has to make these decisions. And while they may be amusing and pleasant company to have around the TARDIS... Mm. They don't matter to her. In the end, yep. I I took that out of this as well. And, and I like I think, that being acknowledged. I think it, it fits with your uh, notion that she's being built to a big fall for this. <clears throat> for her for her arrogance. You know, it, it's all... The, the it's moral not, dilemma not... of it is different from... that. That's fine. The moral dilemma of it is fine because she... I'm not saying she's right. I'm just saying that... that you know, she has to make the decision. She feels that the that the that the ultimate decision making process falls upon her. I guess the part the other part that bugs me is, as you say, with the whole Shelley being important, the other people are not being important. It comes down to what the heck is it that they're doing with time travel that you know isn't anywhere that they go that they couldn't screw something up and without any kind of limitations on it a la the aztecs uh 
it seems like they are kind of floundering around with different ideas that they can't reconcile. And the the butler versus Shelley is one of them. Well, I it, no, I I I don't I don't think that's what bothers me about it because I don't think it's what bothers me about it. Oh well, fair enough. <laughs> I, I wasn't trying to paraphrase what it bothers you about you. It bothers me for for those reasons. It's like yes. I, the doctor cannot possibly know whether or not that butler isn't Ryan's grand great grandfather. <laughs> for for all we know, but but we but we've never really we've never really had any kind of butterfly effect in Doctor Who. The cl- I mean, the closest thing right. I think is Pyramid of Mars, and that's another big. You know, you make a big change, so. That Doctor Who wouldn't work if you had that, and so it's in in that there has been any consistency about time travel, and I think we've spent a good couple of hours just discussing all of the different and entirely uh, contradictory approaches to time travel that the show has adopted throughout the years. It it is it is at least it is at least that the the thing that. The thing that bugs me about this is that the characters in the story, and particularly our supposed heroes, don't take those deaths seriously. They take the the deaths of the Toffs seriously. Mm-hmm. And there is a story reason for that, and okay, fair enough, and, you know, this may be the exception to rule. I just... Those are the names couldn't... history remembers, and that's all that's important. Yeah. 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 We don't... We don't... We we have no idea if Fletcher was the name of their actual ballot. In the end, that I, could be I don't know. I don't know. They may if, have not had one. If Maxine <laughs> Alderson is a is a a brilliant um, scholar on Mary Shelley, she may have done the research and she may have discovered the records uh, and killed and them maybe off. He, maybe it turned yeah, out they died that night. Die, they actually died mysterious. of heart attack, both of them that night, and uh, coincidentally, <laughs> so she decided to work it into. Uh, into her her story uh, the, th- the thing is i don't think that whatever i although i like it being acknowledged that she is she is sort of um arrogant yeah ar- arrogant she she has that she has this the, it's acknowledged the the regard that she holds the companions in is is this kind of um view of them as being very far from uh equal and the, and that they're agency does does not really play a part when it comes to the important things that's not for me necessarily going to make up for the fact that they have had very little agency throughout this series and that has made for some disappointing stories because though i say that i like i like them all i think they're interesting i think there is lots of potential it is quite frustrating when you see that not being realized and in Mm -hmm. many ways i think because I think this season, for, for me, I loved the previous season of Doctor Who. It's really, really good. This season, I haven't enjoyed it nearly as much. Not because there haven't been some good episodes, but because there have been some real ups and downs. And it feels to me like the, the, the good episodes would actually perhaps have been better if they just had the Doctor travelling on her own. In a story like this, yeah. you know... A I mechanical dog. Percy had had to be written out. You've got a lot of interesting supporting characters, and yet what they what they have to do then is find something for these three extra people to do in this whole haunted house thing on top of the Doctor. And and 
it's not that I didn't enjoy some of it. I mean, I I loved Ryan and Polidori's uh, confrontation. Uh, you know, Ryan trying to talk him down from fighting a duel and all that. It, that that was very good. Graham's usually good value, even if the the kind of oh uh, cheers, mate, some lovely nosh shtick is wearing a bit thin. It's just you could do without it. Mm. Yeah, you could. You could. Sorry, I, I was just going to say while we're on the companions, I probably ought to mention we have a another reference to the zero chemistry um, apparent uh, what what should we say uh, crush that someone has on someone else in the TARDIS. I'm assuming. Did we? Where was that? Yaz says to Claire, who Claire, Claire is mooning over Byron. She's actually. It's not mentioned in this. She's pregnant with Byron's child at this point. Yeah. Um, Yaz says, I know someone like that. Who's she talking about? Well, um, she's obviously talking about the doctor. I was not willing to go so far as to think she was thinking about the doctor romantically. I thought she was talking about the doctor. I thought she was thinking about Ryan based on... Really? nobody, Nobody would describe Ryan in the terms that Claire was describing Byron. Exactly. Yaz says my person's different. Ah, well, no, I didn't get that. I thought she was just referring to the fact that the cult of magnetism that the doctor has is, you know, Claire is drawn to the magnetism of Byron. Yaz is, they hang around with the magnetism of the doctor is what I was getting I'm not sure about that. I think, I think there is something else going on. You were the one in Spyfall who said that Ryan was interested in Yaz. Oh, yeah. It was clear in Spyfall. In Orphan 55, it's not that way around. No, it's the other way around. And, I, seems... and I, think that's, that, I think that's what's going on. Yaz, Yaz seems to be interested in Ryan. But, but when you get scenes with them together, I never sense it. And I never, oh, there's no... I never, I never understand. Well, no, it, I, in Spyfall, I don't have any sense a... of why she thinks it's not reciprocated. So You never get any sense that... In Spyfall, there is the scene where the two are sitting on the bench and, and Ryan is talking about how I would never let anything happen to you. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the scene where they're together. Just just to contradict that you never see it when they're together. They're, there they were. Um, no, no, there, is, but, there are scenes when they're together. What I mean is you never get any scenes that make you sense that either Yaz has this crush on Ryan. It's not, it, I don't. I don't see any indication of it in those scenes, nor have we seen anything that suggests that Ryan isn't interested in her. Ryan did go awfully fast for the crazy woman in Orphan Fifty Five. Um, yeah, I guess it could be that. So I mean, and he and maybe Yaz is taking him at his face value when he talks about Sonia. I don't know. Or you know, the Doctor is uh, Yaz is pining after the Doctor. I mean, that was set up in the first season as well when Mom made a crack about Yaz being a lesbian. True. And it so would, it would it, it sort of explains some of that stuff in Praxius where she's obviously trying to impress the doctor. She's trying so, to be seen she's trying to be seen by the doctor as being an equal. Could mm. be. Wonder where this is going. If the doctor is saying none of you are my equal. They're all mm. leaving. All three of them are gone. They're out. I <laughs> I don't know. I, I did I, I will put out uh this for the for the record, it was interesting. It was nice to see uh, Chibnall acknowledge something that happened in the Moffat era and not try to pretend it didn't happen in the cyber conversion of Bill. 
we did get a call mm-hmm. back to that. You know, I'll never let that happen. I will never let that happen again. And my final question to you. The poem that Byron is reading at the end, which was indeed yeah. written um, in about July of 1816, is a called Darkness, and it is apocalyptic. Many people think of it as a post-apocalyptic view of the, the, the world. Many people thought for scholars thought for many years that it had to do with the, the year without a summer, uh, because not only did that happen, it was a, an incredibly low solar minimum sunspots so big, they could be seen with the naked eye. There were a lot of people thinking it was the end times. There were riots. There were, there was, there was all sorts of confusion and consternation that the world was coming to an end. Um, it was also a period of time when we were discovering that there were fossils, that there were extinct species. Uh, this is a this is a notion that to some people was an unacceptable notion because God created the earth the way it is, and all the species are here for man, and they can't go extinct. And that we know that was in the thinking of Byron uh, in some of his work that that he knew that, and then he recognized that as problematic for some people. So but anyway, the, the point is, is that in the end that I think the schools of thought are, is that he was talking about this whole end times thing. And he's also, he's talking about religion because there's a lot of religious imagery in that, in that poem uh, and the bad things. And the way this episode ends by having him read that and end it over a sort of glamour shot of the doctor makes me feel like the writer is trying to say, no, 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 no. Byron was talking about the doctor. She is the darkness. And that's probably just the directing, but did not think that worked right. Because not only that, I don't think that's what Byron would have taken out of it, out of his encounter with the doctor. She didn't bring the darkness. She brought the light. So did, did, did any of that resonate in any way as you were watching that? Because that's what that... That's what I was thinking as I saw it. It's like, I don't, I don't get that. I would not associate her with... And if you go read the poem, even more so. But... Well, I am reading the poem now, but I haven't, I haven't studied it. So this is, this is very much uh, my off-the-cuff opinion. But I felt that there was more of the darkness about this Doctor than we have seen for quite a long time because of the, because of the decisions that she was making, because of the the way in which she was making them and the attitude and the way she was she was treating the people whose lives she was weighing up i guess i i like i liked the episode ending with the poem i liked it at the time i still like it now looking at the poem i felt that cutting to a shot of the doctor was a bit on the nose you could have you could have it's a it's an episode of doctor who where he's just spent the whole thing mooning over the doctor you don't need that cutaway to get the the possibility that he could be writing about her. So that was my main feeling. It was, it was I, I still get the feeling unambiguous. That, you know, he he sees her as amazing. He says as much. You know, she is she is. It just it feels like the wrong choice of a poem to try to associate with her at that at that moment. Anyway, do you have anything else? Because we've we've run long on this one. No, I'm I'm all done. If 
finally an episode of Doctor Who worth talking about. Um, <laughs> for a long time. Well, listeners, remember it's going to be two weeks. Next week, we are going to be releasing uh, a podcast we did uh, in 2019 for our patrons. But we're going to be releasing it to the public feed to fill in your week. And we're going to be talking about... Sex Olympics! Sex Olympics! The year of the Sex Olympics. An amazing, an absolutely amazing piece of work by Nigel Neal for the BBC. Um, that if you can find it, find it, watch it. And, and join us for our discussion. And um, Simon, thank you for joining me this week. It's a pleasure, as always. And listeners, hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at FusionPatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. If he dies, Earth's history is irrevocably? <laughs> <laughs> irrevocably. Wow, that's yeah, a good word. Yeah, not going to be doing any verking after that. <laughs>